Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome, everyone, to Long Ball Legacies on the Pitcherless Podcast Network every single Friday here at noon Eastern Standard Time, where we dive into the history of baseball, the players who helped shape it, and how baseball has become America's mythology. And then we take those players and we rank them every single week on our list of the greatest players of all time. I'm your host, Daniel Port. I'm so excited to have you all here today joining me on this beautiful Friday. We're going to have a fun, fun episode. This week, I'm doing the final part of our analysis of Scott Rowland's recent Hall of Fame introduction and taking a look at which modern players I feel like at third base suddenly have a better chance to make the Hall because Scott Rowland got in. Last week, in part two of this discussion, we talked about Nolan Arenado and how he has a much better shot at making the Hall of Fame because Scott Rowland got in. And this week, we're going to take a look at another star third baseman currently in the league, namely one Manny Machado. Now, in Machado, we are talking about one of the most underrated third basemen in baseball right now, especially at least offensively speaking. In a weird way, Machado has had a, a real roller coaster of a career, not just in terms of reduction, but in terms of public expectation and opinion. Originally, he was a shortstop that kind of since moving to third base when he came up into the majors, he has quietly settled in as one of the most consistent and productive third basemen in the league. And while he is different than Roland and Arnado in that Machado isn't exactly a defensive wizard at the hot corner, he's solid over there and has had elite seasons at time defensively. And when his defense starts to falter, his bat more than makes up for it. Think about it this way. From a career overview standpoint, he's a six-time All-Star as well as a Silver Slugger winner who has finished the top five in MVP voting in four seasons. Just 30 years old coming into the season, amongst third basemen, across his 11 years in the majors, he has amassed 52.0 war, which is just .2 behind Nolan Arenado, and 25th all-time amongst third basemen. He's 22nd in Jaws. His 238 home runs is 24th all-time amongst third basemen. His 312 doubles is 53rd, and his 853 RBIs 56th all-time. He's 29th all-time with an 833 OPS and a 126 OPS plus, which is 27th all-time. And while his numbers seem a little low, again, as we talked with Arenado, with Roland, and if you go back to talk about Ron Santo, this is actually more what we expect out of a third baseman. It's a much more demanding position defensively. I think it's often unfair to hold third baseman to first base standards is the way I tend to see people think about third base offensively. And that's just not the case. So that 833 OPS in that right around in that 120 range for OPS plus seems pretty standard for a lot of third basemen, honestly. And so we should keep that in perspective when we talk about his offensive production here throughout this episode. He's hit 30-plus home runs six times over his career, and he has three seasons of six or more war and has 60 or more extra base hits. 
six times in his career, which is just an incredible amount of production and consistency. Now, as I mentioned before, he is not the defensive wizard, Arnauto or Roland. He has several negative seasons by Fangraph's war defensive metric. And he has, what's interesting though, he does have a few elite seasons in there as well. And in general, as I mentioned, he's not terrible across his career by the metric. He finishes 52nd all-time amongst third baseman in Fangraph's defense, which, again, isn't all too bad considering he's only been in the league for 11 years. And so there's plenty of time to add to that total, creep up into that top 10, and potentially even make it up in like the top 8 or so. And the real knock, like I said, on his defense is that it's inconsistent from year to year. One year, he's an elite defender. The next year, he's worth negative war. And it goes back and forth and jumps around. So you'll see me make some comparisons later to, like, I think of, like, Steve Carlton, who really struggled with consistency sometimes, especially later in his career, where you'd have an elite Cy Young award-winning season and then be an average pitcher the next and then he jump around like that and in, in a way sometimes Machado reminds me of that as well but his defense wasn't bad overall it wasn't like he was unplayable in the field heck over his career he won two gold gloves and a platinum glove there were stages of his career where he was a good fielder and really as you see here as we go through his career the way I think to describe Manny Machado's career, you could describe it in a lot of different ways, but for me, all in all, if I were to describe Manny Machado in a nutshell, he's the type of player who, whether it's on defense or at the plate, he's always just a bit better than you thought he was. You start to put in your brain how good you think Manny Machado is, and he's always a little bit better than that. And it's always a little surprising. He sneaks up on you that way. But I think when you combine that with longevity, if he can continue to play, again, he's only been in the league 11 years, and he got to start young, as you'll see here, that can absolutely be a, rep uh, a recipe for Hall of Fame consideration. In fact, thanks to Roland's induction, he might be closer than we think, honestly. But again, before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we know the drill here. Let's roll back the clock and start back at the beginning. Huh? Gosh, that sounds like, sounds like the opening to a, like an ancient text, the way I say that. Like, in the beginning, there was the vast expanse of the cosmos. And from that cosmos came the Big Bang. And from the Big Bang came Earth. And from that Earth, we were given Manny Machado. Sorry. I, I, melodramatic. I have a theater degree. This is, I have a strange sense of humor. Anyways. Manuel Arturo Machado, or Manny as we know him, was born on July 6th, 1992 in Miami, Florida. And he's Dominican by heritage. And from a young age, Machado was enamored with baseball. He was raised to love baseball by, uh, as the story goes, by his uncle and by his grandfather. And he ended up starring for the Brito High School in Miami. He ended up committing to Florida International University, but was selected third overall in 2010 by the Baltimore Orioles. That same year, Machado represented his country on the USA 18 and under national team, so that delayed him joining the Orioles that year, but he does eventually join the Orioles organization at the low A level right around August. He played just nine games there given the late start, but excelled, hitting 306 with a home run, a double, and five RBIs, and this is all before he was legally able to vote in the country because he was just 17 years old. Machado then... I spent the entire 2011 season at A-ball and high A-ball, hitting 257 with 11 home runs and 20 doubles across 101 games. Heading into two, uh, 2012, 
He was ranked the number two prospect in the Orioles system and the number 11 prospect in the league by Baseball America, who praised him as having all the tools to be an all-star shortstop, claiming he's an above-average hitter with a knack for making solid contact, and he has the bat speed and strength to generate average power. He's a rangy teenager who's still filling out and getting stronger. Machado has good hands and range and a plus arm, so he'll be a fine defensive shortstop as long as he doesn't outgrow the position, which eventually he does, to be honest. In fact, when he comes up to the majors, he won't be a shortstop. He'll come up as a third baseman, even though occasionally he will jump back into that position throughout his career. They even wondered even then if he would actually slide over to third base as he got bigger. So uh, that was a portent of what was to come here. In 2012, Machado made good on the hype, hitting 266 with 11 more home runs and 26 doubles in 109 games at AA, which then earned him a 51-game call-up with the Orioles starting on August 9th. Over the rest of the season, he performs pretty well, I'm hitting 262 with a 739 OPS to go along with 7 home runs, 8 doubles, 3 triples, and 26 RBIs. Not too shabby for a rookie. The Orioles, especially considering I think he was like 19 at this point, the Orioles would actually make the playoffs uh, that year, and Machado plays in the playoffs and gets across uh, the AL wild card and division series. Machado plays in six games with a home run, a double, and an RBI. After a successful rookie year like this, and you know, not blowing the doors off of anything, but again, considering his age and how fast he rose through the organization like i said he's it's 20 around now probably actually uh, to correct myself and you take that success and all the hype that followed machado's debut getting playoff experience this early in his career and and the exposure that comes with that you know being on national tv and doing getting to really have fans all over the country see him that was fantastic exposure for machado's sort of future rise to stardom and the hype that surrounded that now this debut was enough to earn him a spot with the big league club to start the 2013 season there was no sophomore slump as it was a true breakout season that exceeded everyone's expectations for the 20 year old with jj hardy manning shortstop who was an excellent defensive shortstop he spent all 156 games he played that year at third base and was excellent hitting 283 with a 746 OPS, which was good for a 102 OPS plus, to go along with 14 home runs, 51 doubles, 3 triples, 71 RBIs, and 88 runs. He is voted to his first All-Star game, wins his first Gold Glove, and wins the Platinum Glove, which, for those who are unfamiliar, is the award given out to the, the best defender, so to say, in the league at any position, let alone third base so he wins both the gold glove and the platinum glove that year and this was actually pretty well deserved he leads all third basemen including nolan arenado by the way in fangraphs defense and in fact he led the entire al in fangraphs defense that year so platinum glove well deserved and now unfortunately this season comes to a screeching halt for uh, machado at the end of september just before the end of the regular season when machado dislocates his left kneecap ending his season. Gosh, ugh, I get shivers. I, I did the same thing when I was in high school, running, well, first in wrestling and then running track. And it is one of the most painful and weird injuries. I, it's not an easy thing to come back from. So to have 
gotten this injury so early in his career, this would derail a lot of careers. And it doesn't for Machado, which is a blessing. And I'm so glad that it wasn't the case. But it's a rough injury. Now, he was worth 5.9 more that year despite the injury. And he finishes ninth in MVP voting. And again, it's worth remembering that's ninth in MVP voting as a 20-year-old. So really just remarkable considering his age and the level that he was playing at. In the offseason, Machado opts to have surgery on his knee with the idea of preventing further injuries in the future. Now, the recovery time for this caused him to miss all of April. Now, because that's kind of how I, I remember when this happened to me too. That sort of was the decision I was given was I could either have surgery and I'd be out a lot longer, be probably better off in the long run, or I could let it heal naturally and rehab it and I'd be back faster but at risk for further injury and I ended up at the time rehabbing it and trying to get back for a football season that next year which neither here nor there but Machado here chooses to have the surgery which probably in the long run when you consider again the the longevity we're looking for in his career here and at the age that he was I think this was the right choice and I'm glad that he did it again to try and prevent further injuries to that knee now, the recovery time, like I said, meant, caused him to miss all of April, but he comes back with a vengeance. He hits 287 with a 755 OPS across 82 games with 12 home runs and 14 doubles. Now, you might be thinking that 82 games doesn't sound like he missed only a month of the season. That's because, unfortunately, on August 11th, Machado sprains his right knee, so this is the other knee now, an injury that uh, required surgery and ended his season then. So... If you want to wonder, I th for me personally, if you want to wonder where a lot of Machado's defensive prowess eventually went, for me, I at least wonder if it's due at least partially to this pair of serious knee injuries. The these are actually the two, really the last two major injuries Machado will suffer throughout his career, which is a testament to his longevity and whatnot. There's no way you go through these back-to-back -back knee injuries and rehabbing these two injuries and don't lose a little bit of that especially side to side motions or things that are so essential for third base defense again that's speculation on my part but i do tend to wonder if some of that up and down quality of his third base defense is because of these injuries now he gets the entire offseason to recover and machado heads into 2015 fully healthy and he responds with a truly great season he plays in 162 games, and while uh, many had started to wonder if Machado was more of a like a doubles hitter than a true slugger, so to say, and that makes sense. Back in what 2013, he hit 51 doubles, so it's not like it was an unreasonable question. But this all changes in 2015. I talked before in other episodes. In fact, I think we talked about it in the last episode, looking at Nolan Arenado, who was also uh, sort of this big power hitter was coming up, and everyone's like, where's the power? As he was hitting doubles left and right as a young player. And I think that you can sometimes with hitters see the home run breakout coming by looking at those doubles numbers. All they really need at that point is a little more power, maybe a swing change, or if nothing else, simply getting bigger and stronger, which, again, Machado at this point is just 22, so that's pretty typical for a young man turning just 22. Most guys are still in the minors at that point, developing that power. I think a lot of people were putting pretty high expectations on his power hitting, and this is right around when you should be seeing that start to emerge. But what we see, though, is a bunch of those doubles that I was talking about become 
home runs. They start getting over the fence. They get a little further, a little deeper. And this is exactly what happens for Machado. He hits 35 home runs to go along with 30 doubles, 86 RBIs, and 102 runs scored. He even chips in 20 stolen bases to go along with a 286 average and an 861 OPS, which is good for a 132 OPS plus. And he even has 181 hits on the year. He's great on defense as well. He finishes second amongst all third basemen in Fangraph's defense and ends up being worth 7.5 war on the year, which was second in the AL only to Mike Trout's 9.6 war. So while Machado certainly didn't deserve the MVP, being almost a full two war behind Mike Trout, which is more of a testament to how ridiculous Mike Trout is than anything about Machado. He doesn't deserve the MVP that year, but he definitely deserved better than his fourth place finish, considering he was the second highest war total in the AL that year. He also goes to his second All-Star game while getting to participate in the Home Run Derby, and he wins his second gold glove on the year. Honestly, for me, this is truly the year Machado becomes a star and kind of put the world on notice about to pay attention to what Manny Machado was going to do. He had finally put the power all together with the average. He had the base running and the fielding. It just, he had finally really become the total five-tool package player, which you don't get a ton of those at third base either. So it was really a, a fascinating thing to see all come together for Machado. Now, despite Machado's MVP-level season, though, Baltimore struggles, winning just 81 games and finishing third in the AL East for the second year in a row. Now, Machado had plenty of help offensively. Chris Davis slugged 47 home runs that season. Adam Jones chipped in 3.5 war. But the Baltimore Orioles at the time really couldn't pitch their way out of a, a, a paper bag. Pitching fell way short as uh, Wei and Chen was their most valuable pitcher that year with a mere 3.4 war. You're not going to win a lot of games if that's your best pitcher that you're throwing out there. Now, I always feel... Like the hallmark of a player moving from being a star to being a superstar is having that sort of peak level year consistently. Being in a, a lot of players can have the occasional elite year from time to time and they're stars. They put up above average production and then occasionally have elite seasons. Superstars have elite seasons consistently, multiple years in a row. And that's exactly what Machado does in 2016. He follows up this fantastic 2015 by hitting 294 with an 876 OPS, which is good for a 130 OPS plus in 157 games to go along with 37 home runs, 40 doubles, 96 RBIs, and 105 runs scored. He's named to his second consecutive All-Star game. He ranks third amongst third basemen in Fangraph's defense, and he finishes fifth in MVP voting with 7.3 war, which matched right where he ranked in the AL in war behind a really stacked season in the American League. You had Trout up in the upper nines in war. You had Mookie Betts right there. It was just a really stacked season that year. So while 7.3 is a pretty darn good year, he he basically finished where he should have in the voting. Now, one knock that surfaces this year about Machado is that he had a bit of a temper. It was the rumor and sort of the the representation started to go around through the media and he ends up getting suspended this year for four games for charging them out against the Royals against Yardano Ventura after Ventura hit him with a fastball. He had previously in the year before or actually back in 2014, he had been already suspended for throwing his bat at Fernando Abad. You're starting to see a bit of a troubling trend of 
bad behavior from Manny Machado when you get him riled up. Now, the Orioles follow Machado's lead in breaking out and win 89 games. They finish second in the AL East, and they get a shot in the AL wild card against Toronto. Now, while Machado did have a hit in that game, the Orioles do fall short and so do not advance in the playoffs. It was good to see them at least start making some progress towards being a winning ball club. When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Now, the 2017 season was a pretty eventful one for Machado. So before we dive into that, because we have a lot to talk about on the 2017 season for Machado, let's actually take our first break here, and then we'll jump back in, and we will talk about 2017 and sort of all the things that went down that year. Welcome back. Thank you so much. Now, 2017, unfortunately, would prove to be sort of star-crossed, so to say, instead of a star season for uh, Manny Machado. Machado gets off to a slow start on the season. He hits just 230 with 18 home runs in the first half. And in what was sort of a troubling trend early in his career, he becomes embroiled in yet another controversy. As Dustin Pedroia was injured in late April on a slide into second base by Machado, and this sort of unleashes a small beaning war and war worlds, between Machado and the Red Sox, he was either hit or thrown out pretty constantly whenever these two teams met up. And, you know, then Machado was sort of talking in the press a lot about it. And tempers were flaring. And weirdly, the league really wouldn't step in and fix it either. So it, it got really, really contentious. It, you know, was not pretty at all. It was a real genuine mess. And... Pedroia's already damaged knee was never really the same after this injury. It almost effectively ends his career in a lot of ways. 
And I remember when this happened, but in many ways, Machado got a bit of a villain rep at this point, you know, with the public and with the media. And it didn't look good for him. I'm not going to lie. Now, I've watched the replay of this incident many, many times. And, you know, go YouTube it, just YouTube, you know, Manny Machado, Dustin Pedroia, and it's the first thing that'll come up. And, you know, for those who haven't seen it before, Essentially, you don't see a ton of it. You, you especially don't see because of the way the camera catches it, how Machado comes into second base. You mostly see the aftermath. And what you do see, though, is as the throw is coming to second base, Pedroia is stretching out almost like a first baseman, basically, out almost towards the shortstop, trying to get the throw from third base. And Machado clearly slides past second base with what appears to be his spikes up. And spikes right in the back of uh, Pedroia's leg, tearing up that back end and into his knee. And Pedroia goes down, has to be helped off the field. It looks bad. And again, as I've said, Pedroia's knee would never really be the same. Now, it's worth noting Pedroia's knee was already in pretty rough shape. But this was the straw that broke the camel's back for sure. And... I've got it. Like I said, I've watched this a lot uh, to try and get a sense of what I think happens. Because I try to be a, a straight shooter here. I try to really form an opinion. Because if I think you've stepped over the line, I will say so. And I think I've called out like Kenny Rogers for bad behavior or other players in this podcast. And I think the more I watch it, the less I think it was intentional. First off, obviously, because the moment he spikes him and get, sees Pedro go down, Machado immediately is over there trying to check on him and help him. And you don't do that in someone you wanted to hurt, right? And I know some people on the more cynical side of things will say that's either an act or that he was hoping to maybe spike him but not hurt him or something like that. But I just don't think that there's someone you were looking to send a message to that you get up and immediately be like, oh my God, are you okay? So that's the first thing that really strikes me. But as I watch it more in slow-mo and try to kind of pause it and look at things, what I think ends up happening is it's not a good slide. I'm not going to state that uh, from like a skill standpoint. It doesn't look like it's a good slide. He certainly slides late. There's the other question of did he make a poor decision? Because if he does slide too late, is it because he honestly didn't think he was going to beat the throw, but then sees it was a bad throw. So suddenly, oh, now i got to slide. Maybe it was something like that. But he ends up, when he goes to slide, what I think ends up happening is as he goes to slide, his cleats, usually what they'll kind of do is catch the edge of the bag. Usually it'll pop up or it slows you down. And what it looks as he does, that doesn't happen. And so he just keeps right on going and the cleats hit the bag, bounce upward, and then uh, spike him. And I, 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 like I said, I'm not trying to make an excuse for Manny Machado. I don't know. There's no way to know what Machado's intention was. I'll tell you, it doesn't look good. But I, I think the more I watch it, the, the more I think it wasn't intentional. And I think that there's an interesting thought here, uh, like a thread to pull. And I, not to go on a tangent, okay? But I watch a lot of basketball. And if you watch the NBA, you'll be familiar with a player named Draymond Green. Now, Draymond is a fantastic player. All-time great on defense and for a big man, just a great passer, just a really smart and great basketball player. He also has a reputation for playing a little dirty, especially with blows below the belt. That is something that 
he has done and but certainly done intentionally at times he also likes to jar at the refs and argue he gets a lot of technical fouls and he's built up this sort of reputation both as a bit of a problem child but also someone who you have to tee up and someone who you know is doing a lot of these things intentionally and you'll often hear Draymond go on camera and be frustrated when he gets a, a technical foul on a game or things like that because he feels like they just gave it to him because like, oh, it's Draymond Green. And sometimes I've seen it where he doesn't then intentionally do something, but he gets slammed with it because he has that reputation. And don't get me wrong, What the thing to keep in mind is as much as a player like Draymond will complain about that, he also deserves the reputation because while it's understandable that sometimes it isn't the case that he did intentionally, he created the reputation in the first place with the way he plays and with the times he does do it intentionally. So oftentimes if you have that reputation, you not only A, did you create it, but you, you, you aren't going to get away with things. You aren't going to get the benefit of the doubt because you've given everyone the impression they shouldn't give you the benefit of the doubt. And I think this happens with Machado here. If I think of this slide happened in a vacuum, most people would say, oh, you know, I honestly don't think it was intentional. It was just a mistake in it, an accident, people get hurt, things happen. But when you go back through his other mishaps, whether it's charging Yordano Ventura or throwing a bat at Fernando Abad, whether it is feuding with teams, and, and then also in his response to this whole situation, basically being, and again, he had a right to be mad. He was getting thrown at, and it wasn't like they were throwing the soft stuff at him. I don't blame him for being mad in this situation. But I think what ends up happening to a certain degree is this gets scribed as being dirty because of his reputation. Does that make sense? So, so that's part of my take on it. And again, I don't know. I can't ascribe intention here but the more I watch it like I said more of it looks like a bad slide than it does something intentionally meant to hurt I think of uh someday we'll do Chase Utley or and Utley's reputation was ruined when he slid into god I can't remember his name but the Mets either shortstop or second baseman at the time uh I think breaking his leg or like doing like tearing his ACL or doing something pretty catastrophic to him and I'll be honest with you I've seen that slide a billion times and that slide was intentional right that was one where I'm like I can see it and it, that looked like maybe then he didn't mean to hurt him, but he definitely meant to come into that slide hard. That was definitely meant to be an old school, a reckless play, so to say. And I think that this was Machado making a bad decision sliding. It wasn't, it doesn't strike me in that same way as that slide did at the time. Now, I think because of that you have to wonder as well if this incident in the media still around it sort of weighed on Machado because like I said this happens at the end of April and he continues to struggle for most if not all of the first half so you have to wonder if it's contributed to his poor first half he does turn things around though in the second half of the season he hits 290 with 15 more home runs in 73 games overall in the year he hits 259 with a 782 OPS which is good for a 108 OPS plus he has 33 home runs, 33 doubles, 95 RBIs, 81 runs scored, and 9 stolen bases across 156 games. While this is really where his defense starts to falter, and for the first time in his career, it leads to an abysmal negative 2.1 rating by Fangraph's defense, which leads to a poor 1.7 war season for Machado. Which, again, these are the ups and downs I'm talking about here. This is a full season, and... He only amasses 1.7 war. That's 
someone that we wouldn't call a star. That's someone we'd call a, a replacement pl a level player. You really don't start thinking of the player that you should be playing every day until they start putting up like three war seasons. It's just a weird season for Machado. It clearly was a lot going on for him. And I just, uh, and obviously, again, the really, most of it is the bad defense. I think if he played even like average defense, we probably would have ended up with somewhere close to four or five war season. But uh, his defense was just not good that year. And Baltimore struggles as well. They win just 75 games that season and finish in last place in the AL East. But just all in all, a season to forget for Machado. And one thing that I will say, and I'll revisit this later when we talk a bigger picture again at the end. This is really the last major incident for Machado. It feels like somewhere in here, whether it's in the offseason or whatnot, he grows up and learns a little bit from this. And that you don't really have too many big, ground-shaking, character-questioning moments or incidences here from Machado. That's a good sign, and, and we, that's what you want to see in this situation. Now, I wish that I could say that 2018 was less turbulent for Machado, and, and obviously none of it was Machado's fault this time. It would be his last year in Baltimore. Machado is excellent for Baltimore in 2018 when he plays for them. He hits 315 with 24 home runs and 21 doubles with 65 RBIs and 48 runs scored across 96 games. But unfortunately, Baltimore is terrible that season. And this is in spite of Machado's fantastic hitting. He even was moved back to shortstop for the season for Baltimore, and he did pretty well there defensively. But at the deadline, with Baltimore floundering, he is traded to the Dodgers at the deadline for a gaggle of prospects. And to give you an idea of how dire things were, Machado's 3.6 war for the Orioles was higher than any other hitter or pitcher for the Orioles who played the entire season for the Orioles. That's how bad the Orioles were that year. He heads to LA and plays well over the final 66 games of the season, hitting 273 with 13 home runs, 14 doubles, 42 RBIs, and 36 runs scored. Overall in the season, he hits 297 with a 905 OPS, which is good for a 145 OPS plus, with 37 home runs, 35 doubles, 107 RBIs, and 84 runs scored. He even steals 14 bases for good measure. He also goes to his fourth All-Star game, and overall is worth 7.1 war on the year. The Dodgers make the playoffs that season, and Machado has now gone from the worst team in the league to one of the best in the league. So he gets to come along for the ride here into the playoffs, and he struggles slightly in the National League Division Series, hitting just three hits in four games. But to be fair, two of those hits were home runs, and he ends up racking up six RBIs in the series as well. So he was a huge part of why they won that series. In the championship series against Milwaukee, Machado hits 296 with another home run, three RBIs, and five runs scored across seven games. Then that, again, a big part of why they advanced to the World Series. But finally, in the World Series, Machado has a pretty rough series as the Dodgers lose to the Red Sox in what will be his only World Series appearance to this date. He hits 182 in five games but does manage three more RBIs and two more runs scored, bringing his playoff total that year to three homers, 11 runs scored, and 12 RBIs in just 16 games. All in all, that's a pretty productive playoffs for Manny Machado. So good to see him get an extended run in there. We talked with Arenado, we talked with Santo, we talked even with Roland for a lot of his career of the effect that 
being on a team that misses the playoffs so much can have on your career and how we view your career. You just don't get those hero moments. And it was nice to see. Now, 2019, though, uh, sees Manny Machado enter free agency for the first time in his career. And with the goal of finding a true long-term home, he signs a record-breaking 10-year, $300 million contract with the San Diego Padres. Machado has an all-right season in his debut for the Padres, uh, hitting 256 with a 796 OPS, which is good for a 110 OPS plus, with 32 home runs, 21 doubles, 85 RBIs, and 81 runs scored. Unfortunately, a move to San Diego did not bring back his defense, as he was worth a negative 4.6 rating by Fangraph's defense that year. Of course, because of that, overall, he's worth just 2.6 war that season. Again, another player I think of a lot with this is Tony Gwen. If you remember back, if you go back to the Tony Gwen episode, way, way back in the very beginning, I think one of the hard parts for Tony Gwen ran into this where he was always an elite hitter all the way up until he retired. He was an incredible hitter. I mean, he was one of the best hitters of all time. And there was a point where, as he got older, as some injuries started to pile up on him, and his games played kind of started to pile up on him, because eventually there's only so much tread on the tires, so to say. His defense became a liability. And so you look at his war numbers overall for, for Gwen and... There are times where you're like, oh, he's only worth that much war. And you're like, oh, no, it's because he defensively wasn't there at the caliber they used to play at. This is the same thing that's happening to Machado here. That was a great hitter that year, but he just his defense was not good. Now, one thing about the, the offensive sort of dip down, too, is it's honestly not that surprising considering it's often difficult in the first year for a hitter when they switch leagues as they learn new pitchers, they learn new ballparks, that sort of thing. So not uncommon to struggle in your first year with a new team like that. Now, despite adding Machado and seeing the emergence of young pieces like Fernando Tatis Jr. and Fran Mel Reyes, the, the Padres largely struggle, winning just 70 games, and they finish in last place in the NL West. Now, moving into 2020, we once again encounter the COVID-shortened season here in our tales. Machado is quite good over the 60-game season, hitting 304 with 950 OPS, which is good for a 160 OPS plus that go along with 16 home runs, 12 doubles, 47 RBIs, and 44 runs scored. He even steals six bases. He wins his first Silver Slugger award, and with 3.2 war, he finishes third in the NL MVP voting. Freddie Freeman would win the award with 3.3 war, so Machado certainly had a fair argument for MVP that year as well. This is probably honestly his best argument in any given year for the MVP. It's really a shame that this season was shortened by the pandemic. Obviously, in the grand scheme of things, not all that important. Millions of, you know, it's just so many lives affected by the pandemic in far worse ways. But we're a baseball podcast. And obviously, I'm lamenting that season was shortened because Machado was having a career year that year. If he could have kept up that season pace all year long uh, for 100, across 162 games, he was on pace for 8.6 war, which uh, would have obviously been a career high at that point. This would have been a great season for him. And as I mentioned before, Machado is currently sitting at 52 war. And in order to make his Hall of Fame case, he's going to need every little bit of war he can muster. And this likely cost him close to 5 war, maybe 3 or 4 if we're kind of being pessimistic about his ability to continue it all year that could make or break his case and that's a real shame to see i hope 
when we decide to have discussions about these guys like Manny Machado, like Nolan Arnato, like Jose Ramirez or Jose Altuve or any of these guys that we, we talked about before, that we consider that they lost an entire year. I know we don't do it particularly well when talking about players who lost time due to the strike. And I get that. I don't. I think we should talk about it as if they lost a lot of their playing time in their careers. But I get for labor issues why Major League Baseball doesn't talk about it a lot. Why a lot of the people talk about baseball don't talk about it a lot. But I do hope that in 20 years or whatever, when we're talking about these players, that that we consider that. That we think about that. Now, the Padres do make the playoffs in 2020. But Machado struggles in the wild card series against St. Louis, mustering just two hits. He does hit a home run across three games, and he basically has the exact same series in the division series against the Dodgers with another two hits and a home run in the three games that the Padres play against the Dodgers in a losing effort, getting them eliminated, obviously. Now, this success carries over for Machado in 2021, and while it's not quite as good as the year before, he's still pretty darn good. He hits 278 with an 836 OPS, which is good for a 131 OPS plus, hitting 28 home runs, 31 doubles, 106 RBIs, 92 runs, two triples, and 12 stolen bases. He's made an all-star again after a four-year absence from the game. He's worth five war and receives MVP votes, finishing 18th in the voting. And this is a great season for Machado, uh, you know, but largely the Padres struggled to get traction in the division. They win just 79 games and finished third in the NL West that year. And what's interesting to see, and part of this is we're talking about players who are still playing. And we talked about Jose Ramirez, we talked about Nolan Arenado, that these players are all right around the same age. They're all like 29, 30, 31 in that range. And so they're all in the midst of their prime. And it's really interesting to see where we're like going through this whole thing. Usually, when I go over a player that's like a 20-year career, there's this peak. And then there's all these years at the end where, obviously, they are struggling. And that's how they know to call a career. But here, Arnato last week, we actually get Machado's finest season in 2022. Across the 150 games, he hits 298 with an 898 OPS, which is good for a career-high 159 OPS+. plus. He chips in 32 home runs with 37 doubles, 102 RBIs, and 100 runs scored. It's worth noting, again, when you consider his age at 29, we could be seeing this version of Machado for the next couple of years. Uh, and that's incredibly exciting. He was worth 6.8 war in the season, as his defense did limit his war overall. It could have been even higher, maybe back up in that 8.6 range that we were talking about from the year before. But it does help you see a path forward for what we might get for at least a good chunk of the second half of Manny Machado's career here. And the, like, again, this is going to be key. These next couple of years are going to be key for whether or not he can make a Hall of Fame case. And if he can continue improving like this, he'll, he'll make it an easy slam dunk, obviously. Now, the Padres have a solid season, winning 89 games and finishing second in the NL West, allowing them to make the playoffs. Machado has a homer and three RBIs in the three-game wildcard series victory over the Mets. In the division series, the, the Padres triumph over the Dodgers in four games. Machado adds another to, uh, home run to his total, and he hits 357 in the series. So, obviously a big reason why they win that series. Now, unfortunately, though, the storybook playoff run comes to an end. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. 
That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. And what I've, you remember from last year was one of the most exciting playoff series in a long time. The Padres lose the Phillies in five games. They're in the NL Championship Series. Machado hits just 238, but he hits two more home runs in the series, giving four across the playoffs. All in all, again, a pretty darn good run in the playoffs for Machado. And that's why he didn't get as many hits, but when he did, they counted. They're all, you know, home runs and extra base hits, which is a really nice little playoff run for Machado. So that brings us up to date on the career of Manny Machado at this point. Before we dive into Machado's Hall of Fame chances, though, and then rank him on our list, let's actually take our last break here, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. Despite some controversies early in his career, some incidents that I don't want to dismiss or wash away. You cannot throw bats at pitchers, and given his reputation early on in his career... He comes, again, I want to mention he does overcome that. We then have a, a decent chunk of time where there are no incidences. So hopefully he has nipped that in the bud. But it, even with those in there, I think it's hard to argue against the idea that Manny Machado is one of the premier third basemen of his generation. Over the 11 years of his career, only Arenado has hit more home runs amongst third basemen. And the same goes for RBIs and doubles. While no third baseman has scored more runs over the time period of his career. He's eighth in average. He's number one in games played over that time period. He's number one at-bats, number one in plate appearances as well. In a way, like I said before, he reminds me of the hitter version of Steve Carlton. Always reliable for getting a ton of games, lots of at-bats. He's always going to be available. And 
one of the biggest skills that a Hall of Fame player can have is availability. Just be available and play as much as humanly possible. Uh, and, and that's what Carlton did. But also like Carlton, there'd be seasons where there's elite production, just genuine elite superstar production. And then one or two war seasons mixed in there and up and down like a roller coaster. And you don't really know when those seasons are coming. And those, the mediocre seasons feel like they happen randomly. And if you go back to the Steve Carlton episode, that's something I talk about that kind of, if you look at, you ask yourself, why did a multi Cy Young award winner be so far down on the list when I read it? Because of that mixed in mediocrity that I think holds him back a little bit. Now, Again, somewhat with Machado, this might be unkind because it's worth remembering that Machado is going to be, what, 30 at some point this season. So that what we what we might be ascribing that sort of roller coaster feeling to Machado's career so far, we're discussing it the same way we would someone's 20-year career. And that might be a little unfair, but I don't necessarily know how else to look at it without assuming, given the data I have, that the, the roller coaster might continue for most of Machado's career. But he might also just be getting better. At 30 years old, to him figure, uh, figuring out consistency at his age is what 30-year-olds do in Major League Baseball. So it wouldn't be shocking either if that roller coaster quality goes away from his career. Now, barring injury, he probably has at least three to four more peak years. If you assume by peak year, five war a, a year to play it safe, that's another 15 to 20 war, getting up to right around 67 to 72 war, which matches Roland's total, who put up 70 war. Now, that right there alone should make him a borderline Hall of Fame case right then and there. But if he's able to get up even into the mid to upper 70s in war, after that, when you consider, again, I rattled off all those numbers and where he is amongst third basemen in his generation it feels like it's a pretty open and shut case if he can get up into like the upper 70s. Now, just like Arenado, I wouldn't be shocked if over this time period, Machado's hitting somewhere between 25 and 35 home runs every single season. That given, again, no injuries, I wouldn't be shocked if Machado flirts with the closest 400 home runs by the time all is said and done. He should easily get another 1,000 hits, uh, which would get him to at least 2,500 hits. And if he keeps hitting 150 to 180 hits per season, for uh, you know another couple years, he might even get close to 3,000, which again, boom, that's almost instant Hall of Fame case. I really think Machado is a good argument here. And, and again, obviously all that is still if he can avoid injury, but I think those all feel like reasonable numbers for him. For me, if he hits those war marks and, uh, and clears those benchmarks that I, I just mentioned, I don't see how you make a case against him in terms of making the Hall. My only real caveat is that he has the same problem that Evan Longori has which is that he doesn't really trigger any of the sort of like best blank of his generation. In none of those clauses, he's not the best defensive third baseman of his generation. He's not the best slugger at third baseman of his generation. There's no things to define him that way as. And usually that's a nice sort of additional feather in your cap to have when you're trying to make this argument. He also doesn't have the beloved player in a team's history tag, like Longoria did with the Rays or say Ron Santo had with the Cubs. Again, neither did Roland either. Roland played for multi, multiple different teams, and mo most of the teams he played for at some point uh, wore out his welcome or had bad breakups with them. So it's not like he necessarily re resonates with a fan base either. If we're using Roland as the measuring stick, we can get we don't have to look at that as as closely as we might. And I feel like, with that being the case, if 
it came down to it and I had to vote. If I got a ballot. I think if you asked me to do it today, Manny Machado, obviously given, or I should say, if you gave me a ballot and I got to make the choice after Manny Machado's career was done and he hits all those benchmarks, does all stuff, to me, yeah, Machado's a Hall of Famer. He gets one of my 10 votes if all this happens, right? So now that we've talked about Machado's Hall of Fame bona fides, so to say, let's rank them. First, though, let's review the list. So first to read the the top 10 here, We've got number one, Satchel Page. Number two, Josh Gibson. Number three, Mickey Mantle. Number four, Greg Maddox. Number five, Mike Trout. Number six is Ichiro. Number seven is George Brett. Number eight is Adrian Beltre. Number nine is Clayton Kershaw. Number 10 is Edgar Martinez. Number 11 is Sandy Koufax. Number 12 is Tony Gwen. Number 13 is Hank Greenberg. Number 14 is Nolan Arenado. Number 15 is Joey Votto. I keep going up in here because this is the range we're going to be talking saying here. Number 16 is Scott Rowland. Number 17 is Ron Santo. Number 18 is Kenny Lofton. Number 19 is Eddie Josh. And number 20 is Johan Santana. Number 25 is Bryce Harper. Number 30 is Jose Altuve. Number 35 is Corey Kluber. Number 40 is Evan Longoria. Number 45 is Moises Alou. Number 50 is Cabrian Hayes. Number 55 is Aramis Ramirez. Number 60 is James Paxton there at the end of the list. So we've ranked 60 players so far. By the end of today, we'll obviously have 61. Now, I don't hold the lack of a a best player of his generation tag against Machado when I'm talking about the Hall of Fame. I do in the rankings, obviously. So even if he and Arenado are close in war... I do think he ends up ranking below Arenado no matter what. Arenado can claim the best third base defender of his generation and probably even has a really great argument to be the best third base slugger of his generation. He gets two of those tags. I think it's hard to put Machado ahead of him if he has those two things on him when they're playing at the same time and basically have their careers over the same exact time period. It definitely ends up behind Arenado. That's there at number 14. At number 15, we have Joey Votto. Now, Votto can claim best pure hitter of his generation and probably quirkiest Ted Williams cosplay, but <laughs> he also has an MVP to his name. Uh, so you start stacking those up along with all of his numbers and all the things he's accomplished all over his career. Again, I think I think that Machado ends up behind Joey Votto here as well. Now we look at Roland, and Roland again gets the claim best defender of his generation at third base, just like Arenado did. And I think that counts. So if I'm going to make the same argument for Roland, who also has already completed the career that we're hoping Machado or Arenado is putting together, I think that means that Machado comes behind Scott Roland. Ron Santo is literally the exact same, basically the exact same player. Roland was, was better on defense, but was, again, the premier third base defender of his generation. And so if I'm going to make the argument for Roland. I kind of have to make it for Santos. And so that brings us to at number 18, Kenny Lofton. And this is where things get a little interesting. Lofton excelled defensively at the hardest position in baseball and is one of the greatest speedsters of all time. And full disclosure, my favorite player of all time. So I'm going to be biased here. I can't help it. This is, it's my podcast. I get to be, but I may also be accused of overvaluing defense. And that's possibly true, but it's hard to argue with the impact that it has in the game. And 
you'll always get a bump up in my book if you are one of the best defenders of your generation or best of all time or things like that. I'm putting that out there as a caveat when we talk about Lofton, but Lofton excelled defensively at the hardest position in baseball. In my opinion, center field is the hardest position to play defensively in baseball. And if you look at even the hitting numbers, Lofton had a better career batting average. He had a higher OBP. He had over 500 more stolen bases while finishing really actually only 40 points behind Machado in OPS. So there isn't this huge, that's a big gap, don't get me wrong, but we think of as if there'd be this giant like 100-point gap, and it's not, it's only 40. Lofton has surprisingly uh, much higher OPS than you think he would have. Now, obviously, Lofton had 68 war, so it's, it's likely that Machado blows by him in war by the time all is said and done, and... That's true, and that's fair, and it gives me pause. But, and again, while it's entirely possible, I overvalue defense, especially at highly valuable positions like center field or shortstop or third base. I look at Lawson's defensive numbers, and he led the league in total zone runs three times in his career, and is fifth all-time in that stat. He's also fifth all-time in Fangraph's defense amongst center fielders, so amongst the hardest position in baseball. He was amongst the very, very best, which is not something Machado can say at a lesser position. <laughs> Again, I might be overvaluing defense, but I think for me, I'm going to stick with Lofton here at number 18. I'll, and again, that's what the caveat is my favorite player of all time. I might be biased in this whole process, but. And it's worth noting. So eventually, and as I mentioned when I was reading the list, we're at player 60 I'm thinking maybe around like player 75 or maybe player, yeah, probably 75, but maybe we'll wait till 100. But uh, I want to do a, a reshuffle, a relook at some of these things and, and see. I think for now I'm going to keep Lofton at 18 and maybe let that percolate. And maybe maybe that's something that will change. And we'll do at the end of the year as well after this season is done. Obviously take a lot of players who are still playing. Take how they did this season and likely factor that in too. So you never know. It, it, it could be very likely that Machado does surpass Lofton at the end of this year. We'll see. But for now, I think I'm going to put him behind Lofton. Now, that brings us to number 19, which is Eddie Josh. Now, Eddie Josh was a fantastic pitcher, and while he pitched, the years he pitched, he's the most elite pitcher in baseball. He is otherworldly. The hard part is he only pitches for eight seasons. I think at this point, Machado's already played more seasons. I'm already has already blown by him in war. Also, Josh played in the early 1900s before integration with a more dead ball, different style of play. I I think this is a clear cut case for Machado. That Machado goes above Addy Josh here on the list here. So I think that's the perfect spot for him between Kenny Lofton and Addy Josh, which makes. Manny Machado for now our new number 19 on the list here. Now, the other thing I'm hoping to avoid here, and again, I love feedback if you think I am, I try not to overvalue the modern players. It's hard because you're speculating on what they're going to do and where they go, but I noticed they've ended up pretty high. I've got Machado at 19. I've got Arnado at 14. I've got Harper at 25, and obviously as if we keep adding players, this list is going to get, and everything gets spread out, right? But i got Jose Ramirez at 29, i got Altuve at 32, uh, Freeman at 
34. It's like an interesting question of like, I got Mo Vaughn then right behind him at 35. And sometimes I worry I don't have quite the same perspective. I put the bias on the players I get to watch, the players who are of my generation. But let me know if that's how you feel about it. You can see the list at any given time. It's always going to be live on the Google Doc that I will have in the notes, in the show notes. Take a look and see how you feel about it. If you feel like that is something that I'm doing, I would love feedback on that. But with that being said, we've got Manny Machado there at number 19. So that's our, our episode. Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us. This was really fun to do. I love talking about third baseman. It, it's probably my favorite position. It's that in center field, really. So I love talking about good third baseman. I hope now with Roland getting elected, we are going to see more third basemen get into the Hall of Fame, and we can have a discussion about a really cool position here at third base that's very unique in baseball. Before we sign off for the week again, I want to lay out the programming for the next couple weeks. So next Friday, I'll be doing an episode on women in baseball to close out Women's History Month, which is going on right now. I've really been putting a lot of effort into this. There's some really cool stories I'm going to tell, some really cool players we're going to talk about throughout the whole thing. I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to rank them or if I'm going to, but I think it would just be a really fun episode to talk about some of the women that have had a huge impact on baseball. I've done some really impressive things about baseball, and honestly, we'll probably spend a little bit of time debating the question of whether or not I think women could play in the majors at some point. I know it's a hotly contested item, and I actually have a lot of thoughts about it and a lot of feelings. Spoiler, I I do think that they can and and will at some point, but we'll get into it. I've got a whole thing. That's going to be a really fun episode next week. And then after that, we just had the World Baseball Classic, and it was incredible, and everyone loved it. It was so exciting, and Japan wins. And there were so many of these players that we didn't, I didn't know anything about. And so I started doing some research and I found that there was so many fascinating players to talk about. So I think then after that, we're going to take three episodes, taking a look at the best players in Japanese and, and Nippon professional baseball or the NPB. Cause I think it'd be really fun to take a look at some of their great sluggers and see how they rank up against some of our players and really start factoring some of that in and see where they might fall on the list. I think that'll be a really fun exercise. So I want to take a look at that. And obviously one of those players of those three will be Shohei Otani. So we'll get, we'll talk about Shohei. So that's coming up. That's going to be a really fun one. So that's what we've got coming up over the next couple of weeks. It should be a ton of fun. So keep checking in every Friday at noon Eastern time. You don't want to miss a single episode. I promise it's going to be great. Until then, folks, you can find me on Twitter at Daniel J. Port. And you can find the podcast at LB Legacies over there on Twitter as well. I love all the feedback. And like I've said, there are a couple questions. I'd love, I'd love to hear how you think about it. I encourage debates. Uh, let me know where you agree or disagree and what I can do better. So thanks so much, everyone. I'm Daniel Port. This has been Long Ball Legacies on the Pitcher List Podcast Network. Enjoy the rest of your Friday and enjoy your weekend.